Establishing new markets. So there are certain areas that as a small farmer you can sell your produce. So those areas include wholesale, um, community supported agriculture programs or a CSA. How many of you guys know what that is? Okay, so most of you. Okay, so that's kind of where people buy a share in the farm and then I get a box once a week throughout the season. Um, farmers markets, more and more people are doing online sales. Um, you see that reflected in a lot of retail industries and it's really, that's like the next wave in small farming, I feel like, local foods. Um, you can do you-pick programs, you can have a farm stand, or you can work with a food hub that you take food to and then they redistribute from there. Um, there are probably more. You may choose to specialize in flowers and sell to florists. I don't know. It all kind of depends on what you're specializing in. So establishing new markets really takes time, um, but it pays off in the long run. So um, I think Matt is going to talk about wholesale. So wholesale, um, getting back into farming in South Dakota was probably our best security blanket, or whatever you want to call it, um, because they, they were consistent. They would buy what we had. Um, to whole, wholesale customers appreciate dependability and consistency. Uh, so we don't recommend getting into wholesale in the first year or two um, because it's hard to be consistent. You know, if you're out there and you, you're crop dies because your irrigation failed or on and on, right? You didn't succession plant because you didn't know that you needed to, right? You guys do know if you cut a head lettuce, you have to plant another one, right? How many times you guys heard somebody at church or wherever say, I got my garden planted for the year, right? <laughs> that doesn't really work with market gardening. So and some of those things you don't know until you learn. So. We just recommend, I'd recommend getting a couple years under your belt, you know, get some of those hiccups out of the way, and then go talk to them. Um, so think outside the box of who your customers can be. So they can be retail, retail establishments like co-ops, uh, small local grocers, campgrounds. I think in our, in our area, we could sell quite a bit to campgrounds, but we don't really have the need to expand our markets, but we have campgrounds there in the Black Hills that are like, I don't even know, there's thousands of people there all the time. And we have lots of those. So yeah, I think we could almost go through there with like a little ice cream truck, cherry tomatoes. But uh, you can sell to schools. We've done that in the past and that's worked well. Restaurants. Um, and when, you, when you're looking for restaurants, you know, look for all kinds of different varieties. So we have one restaurant in Rapid City that's Botticelli, and they're an Italian restaurant, and Italian restaurants use a lot of basil, right? No, none of the other restaurants that we sell to really want a lot of basil. We can maybe sell a pound here and there, but this restaurant will go through like 20 pounds a week, and we're selling our basil for $16 a pound, so that adds up pretty fast. Um, you know, so we can, we can live a good part of our expenses a month on basil if we had basil every month, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. 
we had some established clients already. So I, I don't know what the, um, so wholesale accounts, I think is, um, I guess there's a knack for it, but I think the knack is uh, consistently pestering or, you know, you just have to keep calling them and keep calling them and asking for the owner or asking for the cook or asking for the dish person, whoever you can get a hold of. And because a lot of times they're hard to get a hold of. I've had, I've had one restaurant like Botticelli. I knew she was interested because I've heard, I'd heard from somebody else, but it probably took me two months of calling to actually talk to her, right? And then you go there and you talk to them and then it's like your best friends, right? And anytime you call, they answer. And well, I wish that's not really true, but they, they respond and they order. Um, so yeah, retail, uh, retail establishments ask for the produce manager. So if you're going into a co-op, you know, don't ask for the owner. Um, you ask for the produce manager and you basically, you're just trying to see what they're interested in. You know, most of the time, if you go into a co-op, yeah, or somewhere it'll say grown locally, you know, and you can pretty quickly assess what time of the year and what they don't have, you know, and you can say, you know, are you, inter are you interested in carrots? I see that it's summer and you don't have carrots or fall or, um, but the goal is to kind of see what they're interested in, what they don't have. If they don't ha express interest, then you just keep pursuing them, okay? So, for example, Botticelli, the restaurant we sell to, um, the daughter was running it and for whatever reason she left, the mom came back in and I called her thinking, you know, great, we've been selling there for a couple of years. And she answered the phone. She's like, who are you? You know, I don't want to buy. I'm busy. Goodbye. You know, and we had planted, uh, essentially two full beds of basil for this restaurant who is now telling me we don't want your product. And, you know, it's a different person. What am I supposed to do? Um, so in that case, I just gave it some time, let her get in there. And um, a month or two later, I, I just kind of swung in there and I had some basil and cherry tomatoes. And I said, here you go. You can try these. And, um, you know, I called her back a week later. And she's like, well, we can try some. And so I brought her a tote of basil, which was like 10 pounds. 160 bucks worth and I think we charge her for it but and I called her a week later and I said how you doing and she's like oh we're just we're all sitting around here looking at your basil and ooing and eyeing <laughs> and um, you know but I was just persistent and I just took some product down there dropped it off and you know now she can't get enough and she buys our salad she buys cucumbers she buys cherry tomatoes all kinds of things and now when I talk to her, she's like, what can I do to support you? You know, and she's wanting to put our picture of the farm in her restaurant on the walls and all these things. And that's great. So, so um, basically what you want to do, you know, the other restaurants that I've tried to get a hold of and, it, you know, I finally get a hold of the person and I schedule a meeting. And basically you just want to sell yourself and you want to find out what their needs are. You want to come prepared. You want to show them some varieties of what you grow. You can show them pictures, pictures of the farm, price lists, etc. Um, 
you don't want to overcommit. And basically what I try and do is I try and find one thing that you can sell them on. So if they don't have anyone growing salad mix for them, then just try and grow salad mix. And when you get salad mix in the door, then they'll probably ask you for tomatoes or cucumbers or other things. But don't come in there saying, I can grow you salad mix and tomatoes and cucumbers and strawberries and on and on, right? Because there's a good chance you can't. Maybe you can, but... Um, and I... So one thing that we didn't put on here, but for me, I feel like I know when the Lord is shutting a door, right? So there's some restaurants that we've talked to, like there's one in town that they have like arugula salads and certain things. And, you know, talking to them, it's just like you could, I just knew that I didn't need to be pursuing this, you know? And other ones, they just open up. And so I would try and let the Lord... Um, lead because you don't want to find you don't want to find a restaurant that doesn't want to work with you and try and work with them right it's just way too much work so find one thing you want to um, consist consistency and flexibility are key for wholesale customers so you know sometimes you know a restaurant will call up and say I didn't order enough head lettuce and I'm out you know, and this is 11 o'clock in the morning, and we have lunch hour coming up in two hours. What can we do? You know, if I'm like, well, sorry, guy, you know, you should you have done better. You know, it's not going to work. So, you know, sometimes we've said, well, we're too busy right now, but we can get it ready if you can send somebody out. Or we call people in the neighborhood and say, hey, are you going to town? And we've had people that are going to town or... You know, one time I told the restaurant owner, I can't come in, but if you know somebody, and she knew somebody who lived right down the street, and she came over and picked it up. And, um, you know, so just be flexible and try and figure it out. And show them you're not a novice, even if you are. Um, and you want to try and give them the earliest access to seasonal food as possible. You know, so restaurants especially are always looking for the next thing. You know, at the end of tomato season, they're not looking for... Tomatoes are looking for soup stuff, pumpkins, right? Because people have in their heads that it's getting cold, we need warm soup, we need whatever. In the springtime, they're not necessarily looking for, you know, other things, they're looking for radishes and arugula and spring mix and things. So try and offer them those things so that they can offer their clients new things. So here's one, you know, this is just a simple wholesale price list that we have, you know, you can take this to them and, you know, you obviously don't have all these things at the same time, but, um, and this, you know, we have, that goes with it, which just talks a little bit about us, who we are, some of our growing practices. So once you have this, you can just keep it and give it to, you know, whatever restaurant or wholesale person you want to. Um, I. I think the biggest thing with wholesale is just going in there and saying I have food. And for us, it's easier than, you know, um, like when I was in Seattle, it'd be way harder for me to go in there because there's already so many restaurants or so many farms. You know, but in our area, it has not been a challenge. But um, anyway, I would say just one thing, get in there, grow it well, grow it well, and start selling. And Deidre is going to talk about 
um, CSAs. So I'm assuming that several of you are market growers in here already. Um, how many of you grow for markets of any kind? How many of you have CSA programs? How many of you just love them? <laughs> okay, can we go forward to CSA? Okay, so CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And so it's basically your customers purchase a share in the farm up front in the season and then they receive a box of produce of whatever's fresh on the farm. That's the traditional model of a CSA program. So CSA programs, like anything else, have pros and cons. So the nice thing about that is they're giving you money up front. And so at a time of year where you're not really making much income, but you're having to buy seeds and inputs and those type of things, um, you have early money in the season. So that's definitely one of the biggest advantages to running a CSA program. It's guaranteed sales for the season. So once you sell your CSA shares, then you're, you, know, you have that money. Um, we found that we're able to upsell a lot of our CSA members, and so they have that share, but then they want more. Um, they add to it, they buy an additional share, they come to farmer's market, whatever. Um, you get some pretty amazing people in CSA programs, people that love food, and they love locally grown food, and they're excited about it and about what you're doing. And that's really encouraging when things aren't always going so well. Um, it's basically free marketing. Like we run off some CSA posters, hang them around town, and it fills itself. A lot of we have a lot of um, customer retention, and then we have word of mouth. Like they'll tell other people, and they'll sign up. Um, so we build repeat customers. It's easier to move produce when you have it available. So sometimes you'll have a glut of something and it's not necessarily selling at farmer's market. You can put that in the CSA box. Now, it's not like you don't want to just unload stuff that you can't move because you don't want to throw it on the compost pile. We were listening to a podcast on the way down here and the, and the lady was saying, you know, I had this big field of kale and I didn't want to waste it. And so we would put it in, you know, I, she said it's, it's kind of like passing the guilt when you just put it in their CSA box every week and then they can't use it and then they feel guilty for not using it. And so it's, it's not to do that, but just, um, you know, sometimes you can move greater quantities of things that are in a, a glut at the time. Um, and it's a great place to test new varieties. So we like to try new tomatoes or something every year and we may not have a large quantity of that, but we can throw something in. It's like a specialty variety and be like, hey, look at this. And it's something new and different for them, so they like that. Um, the downside of running a CSA program is it's obviously a liability because these people have given you their money and they're trusting you to provide a product to them every week for however long your season is running. Sometimes they're eight weeks, 12 weeks, 20 weeks, um, but you are liable to them. Um, it necessitates a certain amount of variety on your farm. So you can't grow three items and expect to have a successful CSA program if all you're giving them is lettuce, strawberries, and kale every week, right? So you have to have a certain level of variety that you're growing to be able to run a successful CSA program. It can be stressful, can be stressful. It is stressful, and at times it's not as fun. <laughs> um, I was saying, what should I tell them about a CSA program? Because I don't, we're kind of, I'm kind of like every year, I'm like, why do we do this? But 
there's other times that it's really great too, but it is stressful because you want to give them the best variety. Um, you can get some of the wrong people. So there are great people and there are people who should have never signed up for a CSA program. And um, when that happens, you have to be flexible. <laughs> and sometimes you can just issue them a refund um, because it's not worth the headache. Um, and then it also takes management. You have to make sure that you're planting crops in time to have variety. Um, you have to coordinate the CSA drops. You have to be organized with all of that stuff. And then it just takes time to do that. So um, our motto with our CSA program is basically we let the Lord lead. When we went um, to Seattle to start our farm, we were going to do a larger CSA. And we got like 12 people. And we were like, well, the Lord will never give you more than you can handle. So I guess that's all we're meant to have. And it was really good that we didn't have more than that. Um, so this quote is from Christ's Object Lessons. It says, it is not the capabilities you now possess or will ever have that will give you success. It is that which the Lord can do for you. We need to have far less confidence in what man can do and far more confidence in what God can do for every believing soul. He longs to have you reach after him by faith. He longs to have you expect great things from him. He longs to give you understanding in temporal as well as spiritual matters. He can sharpen the intellect. He can give tact and skill. Put your talents into the work and ask God for wisdom, and it will be given to you. So that's kind of what we've done with our CSA. So in no other area of our, of our sales profile, say through wholesale or retail, have we been able to wait for more people to do our CSA program because you get to know them more. And you can talk to them they're picking up their boxes and make really great friends through this channel. And so it can be a huge blessing. So, um, so we would recommend that if you're starting a CSA program, especially if you're a beginning farm, that you do not start with more than a 30-member CSA program. And even 30 is quite a bit. So this year we had 30 members and we capped it at that. We didn't want any more. And I got at least 10 emails and had people asking, can you just add one more? Can you just add one more? And it's very tempting, but like I said, it gets really stressful if you have any troubles throughout the season and it's just better to know your limits and have happy customers that want to come back. I'll just say that. So it's like taking out a loan on the season. So you're borrowing the money. I would suggest or recommend that you don't spend it all right up front if it's your first year. You know, I would save some of that back. That way, if something happens halfway through the season, you're not just like, well, you knew the risk. <laughs> Sorry for your loss. You know, um, you can try to make good with the people that have paid you. Um, so have a membership agreement in place so customers are informed of the risk. So before someone signs up for a CSA program, they sign an agreement that says by, you know, like by joining our CSA program, you're basically accepting part of the liability of the farmer in that we are going to do everything we can to provide you with fresh produce for this season, but you know, circumstances change and we can't control the weather and whatever. And people are usually more than happy to do that. So don't overburden yourself with endless varieties. It's tempting to want to um, put something new. Well, we try to do something different every week, but um, you know, you don't have to have like seven different varieties of cucumbers and you know seven different kinds of greens. And it's like 
people like some things that are new and unique, but they really like what's familiar to them too. And so, um, you know, give them mostly of what's familiar and they know how to use and then throw in some really fun things for them too. Um, and like I said, it's not a good fit for everyone. Be flexible. If you get someone that just totally hates it, then work with them and try to make it work for them or give them an out. So it's important that you streamline the process somehow. Have some kind of a software or spreadsheets or something that help you to organize how, how it's all going to work. And I'm going to talk about some of those different things. Um, and then consider product education for your customers. So I know a lot of CSAs, they'll, they'll put a newsletter in the box. We do that every week. We'll put a newsletter, say this is what's in the box. This is something you may not have seen, and this is how you can use it. Here's a recipe, and this is what's happening on the farm. Um, and you know, some, some CSAs have online educational portals, so you can go to their website, you can click on like videos that'll show you how to use certain things, or how to put up you know, greens if you can't use them all, and those type of things. So just giving them the resources to make it a success on their end. So um, you want to determine the structure of your CSA. So there are traditional style CSAs, which basically they pay for the season. So say we have a 12-week season and it's $300, they pay you $300 and every week they get a box of whatever you decide to them there and you get it to them and deliver it weekly. So that's the traditional model and it works out great for some people. So we, we have about half of our CSA memberships are traditional, and then the other half are a market style or a combination between a market style and a farmer's market credit. So those people, say they pay the same amount for the CSA um, share. They pay the $300, and then we issue them a credit. And it's a $360 credit, so we give them a 20% increase for prepaying for the season. Um, and then every week they'll get online and they'll build their own box, custom box, and they really like it that way because it's flexible, they're only getting the things they want. They, if they're gonna have company coming, they can build a really big box one week and then skip one week if they're gonna be out of town. So it's much more flexible for people. And then if, if for some reason they were out of town so they didn't order a box, but then they get home, they can come to farmer's market and they can hand pick what they want and then we just take it off their credit. So some people just choose to do that instead of ordering online because they like being able to see what we have. Um, so it works out really nice and we have found that the market style members that we have, um, we tend to upsell them and um, we have some people that they'll buy the credit and then within four weeks it's gone. And so they buy another share and they'll buy another share or we have people that'll buy one traditional and one market style. And um, you know, it's just, we found that people spend more money on the market style and we make more off of those, so it works out really nice. Um, online sales, um, I kind of alluded to that being more of a, a thing that's coming around the curve and we haven't really gone that route yet. And then maybe consider home delivery. When we were in Seattle, we did home deliveries because that was the easiest way we could um, come up with people for our CSA. And if you're going to do that, you need to really <laughs> have that within a small radius, you know, so you're not driving all over the countryside. So, I want to talk about platforms for managing and organizing your CSA program. So, it is probably the most important thing in having a successful CSA. So, 
It can help you to coordinate your signups and member management. So all of our signups are handled online. And then it manages your orders and financial tracking, so it keeps track of how much of their balance they've spent, how much they have left, and they can get on there and check that. Um, it produces order sheets, harvest lists, pickup sheets, and um, it helps with member retention. And a lot of the programs that are being developed are really focusing on that member retention because traditionally CSAs don't have very good member retention. And it's probably because of us passing the guilt as farmers. Um, so one of the, the two top ones that we've seen people use are probably Harvey and Farmingo which Harvey was formerly Small Central, and it's the one that we've been using since we've been farming and doing CSAs. We used Small Farm Central, and they started working on a new, developing a new platform called Harvey, and then um, they've been transitioning everyone over to Harvey. Um, and I've heard great, great things about them. They really help with member retention, and um, it gives people a way to customize their box without having to get online and order specific things every week. So when they sign up for the CSA, it asks them questions like, what kind of vegetables do you like? Okay, so I like kale and tomatoes and potatoes. What kind of vegetables do you not like? I don't like peas and carrots. And so when you put in to the system what you have available for that week, it will custom build everyone's boxes based on their preference. And so that is why it helps with member retention. So that's a really cool program. Um, Farmingo Tend, Harvest Hand, there's so many out there, and I don't know as much about those as I do about um, Harvey, but they all have like little things that they specialize in or that they're really good at. So, so online sales platforms like Shopify or Big Commerce. Um, you can use more as like a pay-as-you-go thing or issue credits and then you can still just have like a pickup um, location for that too. So you can kind of just do online sales but have them pick it up similar to a CSA model and then you're, you don't have that liability that's associated with them prepaying. Um, so like everything else, CSA is not a one-size-fits-all solution so you need to find out what your market's like and what you think you can manage and, and go with that. So, um, let's see. So, determine what the length and cost of your CSA program is gonna be. So our program is a 12-week program. And um, like I said, we cap it at 30 members. Uh, we managed it with Small Farm Central and we offered about half and half traditional and market style shares. So another thing about those is having both types relieve some of the pressure. So in a traditional model, if we had 30 boxes, then we would have to make sure that every week, whatever was going in the box, we had to have 30 of that. So 30 of the same kind of head lettuce, 30 of 30 pints of strawberries, 30 watermelons, 30 whatever it is. When you cut that in half, then we only have to have 15 of all those things. So it relieves some of that pressure. And then whatever you have left, you just put on the on the store or whatever, and they build their box from whatever else you have available. So it's a lot less pressure than the traditional model. And some people like the traditional model, and we even have market-style people. So every on our online platform where they order, we always offer a traditional box as one of the options that they can get for the week. And we have people who will just get on there and order a traditional box every week. And it's like, why even have a market-style? But they do it. So. Um, 
So we have the signups handled online and we have them pay with a credit card fee or they can mail a check if they don't want to um, pay with a credit card, but if they pay with a credit card, we charge a processing fee. And then we always charge a tote fee because we deliver the CSAs in reusable totes and we expect them to bring those back every week and they don't always get returned and so we just pass some of that cost off to them. So, kind of the typical, this is how it works for the week for us. So, we will walk the field weekly and we decide what we're going to put into the traditional boxes and then we're going to estimate our harvest yields for, what, for everything that we have. And then we're going to put what we're not putting in the traditional boxes, everything that we have left or we're not taking the farmer's market. And we're going to put those on the market style store. And like I said, we always offer some traditional boxes as well. And so our market style members, we update the inventory online and then I open up the CSA store and they have basically a two day window, 48 hours from noon till noon to place their order for that week. And then the next day we deliver their boxes. And so the store closes at noon and then that afternoon and the next day we harvest, pack everything and deliver it. So, and you can choose what, what window you want that to be. If you want to have a longer window between ordering and, and delivery, you can. Um, so harvest lists and order sheets are generated automatically using the software and um, you just create reports and then um, we pack, the orders are harvested and packed for pickup at the designated location. So. We have, um, so our traditional members, they get a box every week, and the market style members only get a box if they order that week. Um, like I said, a lot of them just don't order if they're going to be out of town or something. We have two pickup locations. You could have more or less. Basically, ours is on the farm or one location in Rapid City, which is about a half an hour away. Um, but you always have to have someone available there. Um, and you always want to make, so we package their, um, Okay, so we always want to have someone there. So our CSA drop in town is at a CSA member's house and they've agreed to run that CSA drop for us. So they make sure that everyone's coming and signing out their box and returning their old tote. And then if someone doesn't show up, they call them. So our policy is that if they don't show up to, to get their box, if they don't call, then we donate it to a needy family. And that's just part of the operating agreement that they sign up for. So, and we just put everything in their box and put their name on it so when they come pick up, they just grab their box. So, one of the biggest complaints I've heard about from people doing the CSA program is they're like, oh, these farmers are already late, always late. So be on time. It's basic customer service to be on time because people value their time. Um, make sure there's shade at the pickup location so the boxes aren't in the sun. <clears throat> Give them variety and get to know your members because like I said, they can be great witnessing opportunities. So, um, Let's talk some about Farmer's Market now. So this is our third major outlet. So we talked about wholesale, talked about CSA, talk a little bit about Farmer's Market. So I, talked to, I said earlier that you can't improve the quality of your produce. You can only maintain it. So, when you're at farmer's market, there's a lot of variables. You wanna to try to keep the produce cool and shelter it from wind and sun. So once you get it there and put it out on that table, your, your quality is gonna decline, right? So you wanna think about hydrating it. So like right here, we have a bin of head lettuce 
And we just have a tote underneath that has cool water in it, and so our head lettuce sits in water so it doesn't get dehydrated, unless it's a really breezy day. Um, we have a spray bottle so we can mist things so they don't get wilty. So just think about how you're going to, you know, keep the quality of your produce. And then you want to protect it from customer handling as much as possible. We have people pick up our tomatoes and squish them to see if they're ripe all the time, and it drives me insane, and I just want to, like, put a sign out that says, don't touch the tomatoes, because it just breaks my heart, and then they're, like, squishy around the outside after a couple of hours. So, you know, either through packaging or something, you know, just try to discourage customers from damaging your produce as much as possible. So, um, tips to help make your market a success. So, you want to start as early in the season as possible to establish your customer base. So you'll find that people come to farmer's market, and if they're regulars at farmer's market, they'll show up and they will make a beeline for their vendor. They won't even look at anyone else. We're going here first to see what they have. And we have had them at our farmer's market put us way down as far away from possible at the end, <laughs> as far away from the parking lot as they can, so people have to walk by everyone else to get to us. <laughs> And um, I can see the logic there, but I told her, you know, we, we need to be first in line sometimes, too. <laughs> so um, you just want to use basic retail skills and customer service. You know, the customer's always right. Um, give them product education. Tell them about your stuff. Tell them about your growing practices. Tell them why they should eat your food. Um, and engage your customers, but also be aware of their body language and like their interest level. Some people come to farmer's market looking for one thing. They don't see it at your booth. They don't want to engage you. But some people kind of saunter and they kind of look and, and you can say, hey, you know, my kids are great at this. Do you like cucumbers? And they'll say, oh, and then they'll kind of turn and come in into the booth. And so just, you know, sometimes it helps to just talk, you know, engage them in conversation. And, but not pushiness, you know. Um, so this is one thing that drives me crazy. Personal appearance, clothing, hair, brush your teeth before you go to farmer's market. There are so many vendors at our farmer's market. Like I said, we're, <laughs> we're out in cattle country and most of the people show up when their corn comes in or their melons. And um, they're just a bunch of good old boys that back their truck up and pull down the tailgate and sit down and read a book. And they look like they just crawled out of the barn, didn't brush their hair. And so, you know, it's a business and you want to appear to be professional and clean and organized. And, you know, I'm thinking how much manure is on his feet and hands is that, you know, you don't want people wondering that about your food. You want them to think, wow, this is really quality and fresh and clean. And um, so your personal appearance and your body language can say a lot. So don't be reading a book. Don't be kicked back in your lawn chair or playing games on your phone. There have been times that I've gone to somebody's booth at the farmer's market, and I have stood at the booth, and the kid, <laughs> to his credit, it's, he's like a, I don't know, he's like an 18-year-old kid running the, bar, the stand for his mom. He's been doing it his whole life. But he's literally sitting there reading a book, and he, like I stood there probably five minutes, and he didn't even look up at me. And it's like, how do you expect to sell food that way? So, you know, just engage people. Um, and then it helps also to remember people. Remember their names, and I'm terrible with names, but you know, when they run their credit card, you can look at their name, and then when they leave, you can say, thanks, Harry. <laughs> like you remembered, right? So know what they like, 
So we have some people who come every week and they just have to have the salad mix. And so, you know, if you know they're coming and it's selling fast, sometimes I'll hold a bag back for them and they'll show up and go, no, and then you pull it out and you just made their day. <laughs> so, um, and then if they, if they take something home and they try something new, if you sell them on something new, remember that and ask them how they liked it. So just those little things make a big difference in return customers. Display is huge. Um, like I said, you want your, your booth to look nice and not like, just backing your truck up and pulling the tailgate down, right? I mean, there's a time and place for that too, but um, if you really want to rock farmer's market, you want to have the nicest looking stand there. And so the adage is, pile it high and watch it fly. We can have piles of carrots on the table and they will just be selling like hotcakes, but you get down to the last one or two bunches and they will sit there for the rest of market. I don't know why, but people just don't like to buy if it looks empty. Um, so sometimes when market's been going and it's been about five hours and I don't have very much, so all market, I'm like restocking, I'm reorganizing, I'm pulling things in. If I have a smaller amount of something, like I have things in baskets, I'll pull a smaller basket out and put it in there so then that basket looks full instead of looking half empty. Um, so just things like that. And then if you have um, specialty, unique things, you know, just kind of highlight those. Like we have these onion flowers. They're beautiful. They're fun to sprinkle on top of salads for garnishes. And my son had them and wanted to sell them. So I put it in a pretty vase and it just looked cute. And um, none of them sold, but <laughs> but it makes the booth look cute. And um, we got a lot of comments on them. So obviously you want to make sure your prices are clear and um, that you're just orderly and that you package things neatly. Oh, and with that, with orderly display of products, so things that seem insignificant, like our green beans, for instance. We have these long, slender green beans, and when we pick them, I pick them, I'm kind of OCD like this, and my husband thinks I'm crazy, but I pick them with all the stems to one end, and when I lay them in the bottom of the tote, all the stems have to face one end, because I'm the one that goes to farmer's market. When I go to farmer's market and I put them on the table, and they're all like nice. People are like, oh, the display it looks so beautiful. And I love how I could just grab them and they just go right in the bag. Whereas if they're all just like thrown and they're all wonky, it's hard to get them in the bag. And you would not believe how many people make comments about my tidy green beans. And he was harvesting them one day and I'm like, quit throwing them in there like that. He's like, what is your deal? And I explained to him and then he's like, oh, okay, I get it. So just little things like that, that, you know, they make it look neat. And quicker to cut. Yeah, and they're quicker. Yeah, whenever they go to use them, if they can pull them out and all the stems are on one end, it's a lot easier to just chop them all off and go. So it's convenient for them too. So farmer's market checkout, you want to have systems to make it um, fast for them. So individually packaged items are better than having to weigh every single thing, you know, instead of doing squash or cucumber by the pound, just say a dollar a cucumber. Or um, like I talked about, we prepackage peas in half pound bags instead of selling them by the pound because they're easier to pick up and people know what it's gonna cost. Um, some people like to include tax in their prices. We have done both. Um, it's nice because then it's easier to add up in your head if you include it and just round it. Um, the bad thing is, is sometimes you end up taking a little bit of a loss that way. And we used to include 
our prices, or our tax on our prices, but then we realized that we had not raised our prices for like 10 years this last year. And the amount that we pay in sales tax is crazy. And I'm like, that's not our sales tax to be paying. It's the person that's buying it should be paying that tax. And so this year, we charged tax on top of our, our price. And it was clearly marked on the sign, and some people are kind of like, oh, you charge tax. And some, you know, most people don't say anything, but some people are really annoyed by it. But um, you can arrange the stand to create flow. So if you have a bigger market stand, you know, you can have kind of the register at one end, and naturally a line will form. And so people will work their way through and out, and um, that works pretty nice. And then just what kind of forms of payment are you going to accept? Are you going to take local checks or not take local checks? Because a lot of people do and a lot of people don't. We're in a smaller community, so most people do at our farmer's market. They will take a check before they'll take a credit card. Whereas we we run credit cards with Square. and um, But so much to the point that they put an ATM on site at our little farmer's market because there weren't enough vendors that would accept credit cards. Um, our farmer's market has an EBT program, and I want to talk a little bit about accepting credit cards because we use Square, and we have found out that it works really good because they don't charge you if you're not using it. It's not like a traditional credit card model. It's really easy. You know, you download their app. It's like your point of sale. Um, and then it helps us to track sales. You can go in and, and look at your reports throughout the day. You can see, like, oh, we've already sold. $500 and that's up from this time last week, you know, it'll give you those flow charts. Um, and then, let's see, it helps with our harvest list because we can pull up that report from last week and we can say this is how many of each thing that we sold at farmer's market last week. So we're going to harvest similar or if we know that we ran out of something, we'll harvest more of something. Um, if you don't accept cards, then just display that clearly, because a lot of people this day and age assume that everyone takes credit cards. And we would lose sales if we didn't accept credit cards. And there's an illustration here. So I had one transaction. This lady did not have cash. She got $59 worth of produce. So Square charges a 2.6% fee and a $0.10 cents per transaction. So we paid them like $1.64, but we made $57.60, and that's a sale that I would have lost if if I didn't take a card, because all she, all she had was a card. She didn't have cash. So it just kind of breaks it down, and when you say, oh, we're, you know, we may have lost 50 cents there, but we, we made more than we would have without accepting it. It makes sense to me to accept them. So basically, through wholesale, CSA, and farmer's market, it breaks down to 40% of our sales we sell wholesale, 30% are CSA, and 30% farmer's market. And um, you know that's going to be different for everyone, but we found it's nice not to have all of our eggs in one basket. And we can, I was just telling her, we can move different produce through different streams. So like we could never sell 20 pounds of basil at farmer's market, but we can sell that every week through wholesale. And so it kind of, you know, gives you some flexibility when you when you diversify. There are farms out there who just do CSAs and they do them really, really well. And there are farmers out there that only do farmers markets. And so, there again, what's going to work for you? You know. So this is this year. I'm realizing more than ever that we have a bookkeeping conundrum because.
Metro's, we manage our wholesale orders with QuickBooks. We print the invoices there. We manage our CSA with Small Farm Central, our farmer's market with Square, and then they're all separate. And to pull up a report of the sales that we've done for the year and like, you know, in each category, it takes me crunching a lot of numbers and pulling information from all these different places to put a report together. It just takes way too much time. So we're looking for a more integrated software program that we can manage all of these different revenue streams in one place. And plus, we're looking at developing an online sales platform. Um, so, and we really want something that integrates with QuickBooks. And we have yet to find anything. So if you guys know of something that will do all this, please tell me. We've found things that will just focus on wholesale, or things that just focus on CSA or retail, but nothing that will integrate them both. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.